Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way, what works, and maybe what's more important, what doesn't. And our focus is on you, the sales enablement leader and orchestrator. As an orchestrator in sales enablement, you have specific characteristics and and skills that, that you need to leverage in order to blend both strategy and tactics to execute. Our goal is to help you clarify what that looks like, provide examples that you can uh, reference as you're engaging across the organization, and give you the confidence to engage up, down, and across the organization so that you can drive the simplification that salespeople need to be successful with their customers. And uh, on this podcast, we have a special guest. His name's Steve, Steve Ghost. And Steve is with a very large financial services company. He's got a very strong background in B2B content and B2B messaging enablement or message enablement. He's very passionate about sales enablement as an enabler of the content and the message that salespeople need to have as they engage with their clients and their customers. And uh, when you think about the the sales enablement landscape that uh, Scott shared uh, in early 2020, uh, we, we obviously we had talent enablement, we had pipeline enablement, organizational enablement, and commercial enablement. Steve, one of our listeners here, is in the message enablement space. Uh, Steve and I met at the sales enablement soiree actually in 2019. Uh, we, we actually hit it off really well at that event. It was great uh, to walk the hallways with him and just uh, talk about sales enablement and what he was seeing uh, as he was helping his large sales teams. Uh, and he's been texting and emailing Scott and I ever since. He's, he's been a big listener of our show uh, and, and actually since uh, COVID, uh, we've had the largest body of post-COVID sales enablement research uh, with over 25 episodes and obviously all the, the state of sales enablement research we did. And, and Steve's been involved in, in digesting all that. And he reached out to uh, Scott and I. So that's how this started. And Steve, so much. I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and anything I missed in that setup? Yeah, so, so thanks for having me. And actually, I just want to tell a real quick story about um, meeting Brian up at the soiree in Boston. So pretty big event. I want to say at least 100 people were in that room. Brian and I were both parts of panels. And at the end of the soiree, when things were winding down, everybody kind of like went into their own groups and went off to dinner. And I really didn't know who to go to dinner with or what to do. I didn't really show up knowing people. So everybody had kind of gone off in their own groups. And then there's this group of like five or six people at the end. And Brian's one of them. So we just kind of get together and say, you want to go to dinner, just us? And I looked at Brian and said, you look like a trustworthy dude. Let's do this. And the rest <laughs> is history. That's cool. That's great. So did I, <laughs> did I meet you first or did, did you meet Scott first? 
Uh, I met Scott, it would have been a little bit earlier than that at a Sales Enablement Society special event in New York City uh, where he and another founding member were, were presenting. Oh, dang it. I thought I met Steve first, but nope, Scott. <laughs> it's not, uh, Scott knows everybody. It's amazing. Uh, that's awesome. So anything else you want to share on your background, Steve? I yeah, remember so, that day. It was so, awesome. We talked a lot about your role. Yep. So B2B sales enablement in a large financial services company. Um, we mostly do content strategy. You know, when we think about the world of enablement, how it comes together, you've got content coaching and training all coming together to help sales sell more quickly. I believe that what we've done has bled into all three. Uh, but our entry point is, is going to be content or, you know, message enablement, content strategy. So that's going to be a lot of what we're going to um, hopefully get into today. Great. Thanks so much for that. Scott, uh, why don't you kick us off uh, with a real organic conversation here, uh, bringing the listener on. I love it when the members of the Insider Nation attend and, and jump on a call with us. So you guys take it away. And what I'll do is I'll summarize the orchestrator attributes at the end as a recap for our listeners. Well, actually, Brian, before you hand it over to Scott, do you mind if I just ask a couple quick questions just as kind of like a, a way to kind of break the ice here? <laughs> yeah, sure. So one is, are you guys ready to co-create some value? Because that's what I'm here to do <laughs> with you guys and with Insider Nation. They're going for the hard close. Yep. But that, that's a given. Yep, that's Absolutely. one. Absolutely. And two, now that I am on Inside Sales Enablement, the podcast, does that mean I'm now in the big leagues? Can I tell people I'm, I'm a big time enablement person yet? We'll see how the call goes. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, always, you'll always be an insider. And uh, that, that means you get, uh, you do get to uh, hear about things a little bit earlier than others. And, and we invite you to help us out with things and, and keep the conversation going after the show. That's definitely part of it. And uh, because one of the things we find on this is we build common experience and that's really critical uh, when you're co-creating value. Yeah, so I think we can pose that question to Insider Nation and, uh, and have them judge themselves, and then we'll, we'll give you our <laughs> That's right. Um, so that's awesome. So first and foremost, one thing that we, we like to do on our, on our podcast is, as hopefully you know, we try to make this very conversational. And the reason that we want to make it conversational is if, you, if we go through in an analyst uh, format, it can get overwhelming. The things that we're all talking about are very, very complex. And I love that um, Steve's talking about co-creating value because that's something that we've talked about in other podcasts before. So I think um, somewhere in, in Chad, Chad's inner heart is, is uh, palpitating. Um, so if you know Chad Quinn, he was on one of our other, uh, other episodes. But what we're doing here, normally we have a framing story, but let's, let's frame this out a little bit. As Brian alluded to, we've done a tremendous amount of post-COVID research. And what we're trying to do is to help our audience make sense out of everything that's going on with the assumption that when, this is, when the dust settles, everything's going to look very differently. So what we've done is we've done a variety of panels and interviews and several webinars. One of the webinars that we're going to zoom in right now on is the webinar called um, Routes to Value, enable, cust enable Customers to Buy. And that's what we're gonna concentrate on. And to connect some dots, we've already had uh, two sales leaders comment on it. 
And what I'm excited about is Steve's been in, in the spot of working on the marketing side of supporting sales. So it's very rare that we get this opportunity to, to have this conversation. So what we're going to ask, the, our format is going to be uh, essentially this. I'm going to ask Steve, what are three things that you got away uh, or took away from this so you can compare what his, his insights were to Bob Apollo's insights um, or uh, Joe, uh, Joe Hayes's uh, insights. And what we want you to do is sort of mix them all together and come up with your own plan. Then what we're going to have is a conversation about what his observations are and how he's connecting the dots. And then we're going to wrap it up together. Uh, Brian's going to wrap it up together to see how he's uh, exhibiting as a, as a orchestrator. So how does that sound for you, Steve? You ready to yeah. get going? Yeah, of course. Let's do it. And I like that too. And real quick, just for our listeners, uh, these episodes are on uh, our website. So you can get the episodes that Scott's talking about. Also, the webinar recordings are on the website too, the Route to Value recordings there. And what's that website, Brian? It's at orchestratesales.com. Orchestratesales.com. So please go and visit that now. Okay. So the, the first question that I have would be, so Steve, what would be three things that you took away from that webinar? So I don't know that it's three things per se. It's, it's more like one big thing with lots of little subcomponents. It's, it's productitis and the role of customer centricity in selling and in business strategy. Um, so why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and start with, with productitis? Um, I'll start by saying maybe a little bit of, of historical perspective here. So Product-centric selling was really the dominant sales strategy of the 20th century. You know, we all know the narrative. It goes back to Henry Ford, the assembly line. You know, you manufacture more products, you, you, you do it more cheaply, you sell more. It's a virtuous cycle. You can but, have anything, any color you want as long as it's black. Any color you want as long as it's black, yep. But there are cracks in the foundation. And I think that we would all agree, and most of Insider Nation would agree, that uh, product-centric selling is not particularly well-suited to the 21st century. That being the case, there's always going to be exceptions. So I hate to be the guy that uses Apple as an example, but in this case, I have to. So I'll start by saying I don't consider them a customer-centric company. Um, I believe that they try. I believe that, that they create um, really innovative products, really you know shiny stuff. They, they promote it really well. They have really cool, slick commercials with music and celebrities and all that. And they usually kick things off in press conferences that are around this time of year, like around September. Um, and I'll give you an example of something that they did that's not particularly um, customer centric, which is they didn't decommission iTunes until 2019. You know, to me, that's years too late. You know, it was clunky. It was outdated. I just think that that was the wrong approach for that. But look, that having been said, their market cap is $2 trillion. That's amazing. That's larger than the GDP of a lot of countries. Right. Cue so, Dr. Evil Pinky. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, with them, I, I, I believe that they're going to have to start making changes as we get you know, further down the road. But if I'm them, if it's not broken, do we really want to go fixing it? And then the other example that I want to use, and then Scott, I'll kind of throw it back to you, is BMW. So my father-in-law is a lifelong BMW owner. Um, he has been buying them like one to the next for four decades now, since the, since the 1970s. And I've talked to him about it, and he has basically said, it is not through my experience in the showroom, in the dealerships, with the salespeople, 
um, you know, with like the virtual tours on, on the website, it's really not through the experience. It's because when I get in there and when I get behind the wheel, it is thrilling. It's kind of like the perfect blend between a luxury vehicle and something that could also have racing harnesses and could go 170 miles an hour on a racetrack. So with that, I kind of see the two of them as competing on the basis of product innovation. And our last CEO here at, at TD Ameritrade kind of said that I believe that there are generally three ways to compete. And you know, our CEO before him had the same point of view. So you've got product, which is innovation. You've got price, which I mean, that could be just a race to the bottom. And then you've got the customer experience. That's where customer centricity comes in and where we need to overcome productitis. So I'll, I'll kind of stop right there and wait for you guys to chime in. Sure. So let, let, me, um, let me share some thoughts here. So one thing is, I think what, what is challenging for those of us who are in B2B, which is everybody in Insider Nation, is we have a lot of these examples of, of working backwards from customers from uh, B2C companies, right? So you're, you're talking about mass market. BMW is a mass market. A Apple is a mass market. How do we blend a whole bunch of different individual capabilities into something unique that somebody wants to buy, what that outcome is? So part of what we're, what we're talking about here is I, I like what you're, where you're going and, and sort of challenging who's actually really customer-centered or not. I think what we need to do is we need to bring that conversation into a B2B frame of reference. Me personally, I, I don't think we have nearly enough examples that we talk about. You, for example, in the B2B space, we've used the word persona a lot. Persona is a great, valuable tool and, and label and concept for B2, B2C marketing. I question whether it's really uh, valuable for B2B marketing when we're targeting individual roles and stakeholders. So I think that there, what I, I want us to do is challenge ourselves to, to use these examples to talk more on the B2B side. And before we, we get into that, for those who haven't listened to the, the webinar, what exactly is productitis and why does it resonate so much with you? So to me, productitis is basically an, an inward focus. So you're focused inwardly on your company, your products and services, less on the customer and their problems and their business issues. And the way that it manifests itself at the conversation level is you just get bogged down in features and benefits, a lot of which is not going to be relevant. And it undermines your own credibility and is going to you know, hamper your ability to, to win deals and you know, be successful um, in a business development role. But the simplest way to put it for me would be inward focus versus focused on the customer, their issues, their problems, their initiatives. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from, from the last couple of, of podcasts is budgets don't get funded to buy products. They get funded to, you know, fuel initiatives. Amen. You know, so, yep. So there you go. That, that, that says just about it all. Perfect. So let's, let's unpack this a, a little bit. One of the things that, I appreciate so much about you, Steve, is you're really pushing, pushing the envelope. Uh, you've got a marketing background. You're a customer content advocate. What are some of the, what does being customer centered really mean for you in the lens of a B2B organization? What, first of all, what does it mean? And then second of all, who has the authority to say, this is the voice of the customer says who? So to me, being customer centered from an enablement standpoint means really having what I call your design points 
in place. It's really going to be fundamental to customer centricity. So um, you mentioned personas before. Um, I do think that that personas in the B2B world are, are important. So personas is going to be one. Uh, the pains and the problems that they're having is going to be two. And where they are in the buyer's path is going to be three. These are kind of like our anchor points that ensure all enablement services that we come out with are customer centered. Uh, let me actually pivot back to, to personas here. Because I agree that, 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 that they're valuable, but they are hard to get right. Um, so there's a difference between doing them and, and doing them right. I believe having a loose sense as to the role that you're selling to, like let's say a, you know, an IT director, chief marketing officer, CEO, whoever. If you just have a loose idea of you know, who they are, what they do, et cetera, it's, it's not going to be helpful. Um, what is helpful is what's called the JTBD, so the job to be done. Clayton Christensen talks about this in his book, Innovative Solution, came out about 15 years ago. But you really got to know, how do they go about their day? Who's holding them accountable? Who do they report to? What resources do they have available? Um, it really goes much deeper, and it is very difficult to create effective personas um, in the B2B space. And when you do create them, they have to be continuously updated and that's done, you know, with the sales folks that work with these types of people. So I, I don't disagree that, that, that it's hard to get it right, but I do believe that there's value in doing it um, in the B2B world um, as well as the B2C world. Well, let's pause on that yeah. and, and, and discuss it. So one of the things that's difficult is we use terms often like persona and there, you'd agree there is not a standard set of what a persona is. So if we were to pull and look at the persona work from company to company to company, we're going to see a, a huge amount of variation about how they're actually building those things. Would you agree with that, Steve? Yeah. Okay. So what I'm trying to highlight is here's what I do know. I know that with sales, there's more standardization, if you will. Now, there's, some, there's a lot of variation, but their words roles means different things. So if you're a, a solution seller, there's a slight different terminology but, uh, versus a, a cha challenger seller or a Miller-Hyman salesperson. The point is they have things like the technical buyer, the decision maker, uh, the catalyst if you're into value selling. Um, there's all these different roles of how they play in the buying process. What's difficult is that they have to manage many stakeholders with inside in a company. So one of the things, one of the trends that's happened is over the past 10 years, we've seen an explosion of the number of stakeholders involved. Mm -hmm. And our observation is these stakeholders, their jobs are knowable. To your point, what, what I'm agreeing with you on is maybe it's just sort of the, 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 the thing that I'm reacting to is the sloppiness of the, the lack of standards of personas. So it's not the idea of profiling individual buyer types. I think it's the lack of precision that's being done to it that I have a beef with. We've got to be able to connect the dots between the, the roles that salespeople are looking to identify because they're casting stakeholders as agents to you know, drive the deal forward. Uh, they have to be able to find who are the people that are going to be resistant who are the people that are going to be activating, who are going to be passive, who's a decision maker, who's an influencer, all of that stuff. But in order to make it work, we have to go one step further today, which is we have to help salespeople orchestrate or gain a lot of buy-in. 
So mm-hmm. my, my vantage point on this is these things are knowable if we work backwards from the jobs that, you know, job responsibilities are knowable. It, you, know, you highlighted a bunch of different roles out there that's knowable. Mm-hmm. But you gotta do the research. You should know what their risk factors are because we need to be able to plot out. It's very common for security buyers in a, in a techno, technical world to have conflict with application developers. Why is that the case? Because their job responsibilities are so different. So because of their roles, they're going to be in conflict. If you know that about the role, it empowers the salesperson to manage it better and then manage the executive expertise or expectations. But if we don't do that, then guess what? We're managing the people's opinions and feelings. And that's never what, that's, that's not the most effective way to drive things forward. So what I like about what you're saying is that you are being very empathetic with connecting the dots and aware of these dots to be connected. So I just wanted to be clear where my, what my perspective is when I am critical of quote unquote personas. Yep. And and that's fair. Okay. So go on. You had more, more thoughts. Yep. So, so our, our three design points, so we've got our personas, we've got our pains, which are business problems and within pains, we want to make sure that it's stated versus inferred because we don't want to want to have our salespeople getting happy ears and hearing what they want to hear versus what was actually said. And then also within pains, we've got financial, we've got operational, we've got risk. And then from there also is the buyer's path. So where are they in their journey? You know, where they are um, at the top versus the bottom is going to be very different. And salesperson's job is basically to give them all the information that they need to confidently make decisions to move their way through the funnel, um, you know, towards the bottom. And, and basically the way that I look at, it, I'll use a football analogy here, is that as enablers, our job is not to sling the ball down the field 40, 50 yards at a time. You know, what we try to do is get first downs. And rather than, than throwing a bomb down the field and winning the, the game that way, you know, if, if a team gets a first down on every play that they have, they're going to win every game. And, you know, sales is going to be the same. So, as it relates to the buyer's path, we want our sellers to give the buyers all the information that they need to move their way down and make confident you know, decisions um, based on, on value conversations. So, so to me, that the, the, that's basically the focal point of, of ensuring what we've done is customer-centric, is making sure that personas, pains, and buyer's path are fundamental to everything that, that, that we give to sales. So let me uh, be a little devil's advocate here representing the voice of salespeople. So one thing would be, how would you ensure that that content is actually customer focused? I'm resonating with what you're saying. How do you validate that the the material that you're producing is actually customer centristic in the first place? Yeah. So if it's going to represent the voice of the customer, um, we need to have the folks that are, are working with the customers day in and day out involved. So generally that's not going to be marketing. Marketing is kept at a comfortable distance away from the customer. And, you know, that's where I spent the majority of my career up to this point. So I would say in the comfortable distance away from customers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why I want to go into sales enablement is because you're closer to the action, right? You know, it's marketing. People are at an arm's length away. So anyway, my answer to that, to that question is you have to look to the folks that are dealing di- or that are working directly with your customers, your clients, your prospects, the people that are where the rubber meets the road that are actually having these conversations. They have to inform whether it's public facing 
or, you know, me specifically, I've focused more on the internal only stuff. And, you know, that is basically fueled almost entirely by, by sales. I create the framework of what it's going to be, whether it's a customer success story, a competitive battle card, but the magic to make sure that, that the customer is represented has to come from sales because A, they're the ones out, out there selling where the rubber meets the road and B, they're the ones actually working with our clients. So they would know. So I would say them, customer success teams, service teams, whoever's facing off with your customers has to be involved. So, so you said a word that I really like. Let's unpack that word for a second, the magic. So there is, uh, if, if we ask our salespeople to do all the dot connecting, only about 20% of our salespeople can really do that to the full breadth of what our capabilities are. So what, mag- what I see that you're, you're, you're providing here, Steve, is you're providing the man- magic of how do we find these repeatable patterns of where our top reps are, are working at and how do I work or orchestrate all of the different people inside our company on the back office so that we can pull those, those right messages forward. So it's, yes, salespeople are having that magic with those conversations, but aren't you also doing magic as well in your role? I, I mean, I would say yes. You know, my, my, my magic and the value the, that I have to offer sales um, from a content strategy standpoint is kind of bottling the magic from the most successful sellers that, that we have out there and then serving it up to them when they need it, how they need it. Um, and that's going to be through our content enablement platform. Yep. So, so that I'd say that is really the biggest piece of value that, that we provide from a content standpoint is kind of organizing and filtering, um, you know, the, the wins from the field, you know, the folks that are doing it most effectively kind of like repackaging some of that and then putting it into a format, whether it be seismic high spot show pad, there's a million of them out there and putting it into a content engine like those that will serve it up to them when they need it, which is when the customer needs it. So that I think is my value is taking it, kind of organizing it, reshaping it a little bit, and then serving it up to everybody, um, in particular to, to raise the, the B's and the C's to BDAs. Yeah, right. So that, that's what I wanted to, to capture. Talking about this stuff is pretty difficult because once you start doing it, it's, it becomes pretty instinctive. But how do we explain to other people all of the work that you're working on? So let me summarize and please check my work here, uh, Steve, About because uh, I'm probably leaving stuff out because of how complex it is. So number one, you have to have a vision of uh, the different stakeholders that are involved in making buying decisions with your products and services. Two, you have to organize the information or capture the information about who these roles are or personas. I don't want to debate that. I want to already establish that uh, we have to have detailed knowledge about who those are. Three, we can't have that information be um, on an island because salespeople have to connect the dots with that. Four, you have to work with salespeople, particularly the salespeople, the A-reps who've already figured out how to sell it and unpack their unconscious competence, which is difficult in upon itself. Next, five, you have to work across the company for the different products and services and blend them together to a message that's, uh, uh, I'm going to use the term outcome-oriented, impactful, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the next part is you have to be able to organize it in a way uh, distribution platform, you mentioned technology, uh, so that salespeople can access it so that they're uh, equipped to be able to have those conversations at a moment in time. 
and you have to do all of this stuff in a rapidly changing, complex environment that moves fast. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and something else that I want to add on there um, in terms of the value that, that we can add from the content standpoint is, so when we think about our normal sales or sales enablement KPIs, so win rates, conversions, deal stage velocity, um, you know, net new assets, et cetera. One of the most important things I think that enablers can give sales back into their, or to give sales is time back into their day. Yeah. So if they are, you know, creating their own content. So let's say I'm writing my own newsletters, I'm creating my own one pagers, you know, that a most salespeople don't want to do that and they're not particularly good at it. It's just not the best use of their time. So it's like in a less mature sales um, group, you, you can make them do it, but it just doesn't make sense. You know, we want to give them time back into their day so that you have all the email templates that, that you want. You have customizable one pagers, you know, you have competitive battle cards. We, we, let's say someone's going into a meeting where they know that they're selling against one of our rivals. We don't want them taking two or three hours scouring the internet, um, trying to compare us versus them, looking for vulnerabilities. You know, we already have that. We have competitive battle cards for all of our rivals that include a rundown of their products and services, um, what we have, what we don't have. Um, but the magic is going to be in the SWOT analysis. We create SWOT analysis for all of our rivals, where they're strong, where they're weak, where the opportunities are, where the threats are. This saves them so much time to be able to actually put time back into their day and spend more time um, with customers. So it's like, again, you, you could have them do it on their own, but A, it ain't gonna be as good, and B, it's just not the best use of their time. And, and three, they don't have enough time to, to spend with customers as it is. Just about every sales rep out there will, will, will tell you, I wish I had more time. Yep. So getting them time back into their day is really, really important. And a way that we do that is through a proper content strategy that runs through um, our content enablement engine. So I want to touch on a couple of things. If you have been following our, so you, the audience, I'm not talking to you, Steve. So Insider you, Nation, that is. Yeah, you, Insider Nation, uh, have been following along and you listened to the panel that we had as sales experts. Those sales experts rattled off a variety of different requests that they would like to have of marketing and also the satisfaction level that they have with marketing is, is pretty low. One yep. of the requests that they had was patterns. And what exactly those patterns are, what I'd like to ask you guys to do is listen to Steve's unconscious competence about the patterns of content. And what's really important that he's doing a really great job is he's relating content that we might as a, I've, I've actually had the role of a product marketer before. The way that we structure information in product marketing is one way. And again, let's look at the title. Product is my first job, right? I want to organize the stuff about what we say and what we do and based on that kind of material. But then let's talk about what Bob and I had the conversation about, about an, a structure for an outcome. And in between, we've got to be able to take the stuff that we've got and ways that we're working and transform it and serve it in a way that is digestible for sales. This is what I think Steve means by a content strategy is bridging the gap between those things. Is that, is that fair? Would you like to add some color about what? Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's fair. And it's going to be a dichotomy between your customer facing stuff and your internal only stuff. So internal only, you know, that could be analysis plays, um, things that, that kind of help identify and magnify a business problem. Um, competitive battle cards, customer success plays. Yeah. Um, 
I know that this is going to be a dirty word or a dirty term, but product plays. There is a right way to, to do product plays and there's a wrong way to do it. And we can come back to that, but that basically covers kind of like our internal stuff. And that's designed to, to just fuel and create more great conversations that will further relationships and bring them you know, further down the funnel. And then the other side is going to be our customer facing stuff, which is great for follow-up in order to, to create momentum, drive change, and actually help bring folks further down into the sales funnel. So I would say a part of it, another big part of it is how the internal only and the customer facing content sort of pairs together um, to create a bigger impact than either one of them would individually. Awesome. So I think what we're doing here, I hopefully you'll agree, hopefully Insider Nation will agree, is we're co-creating value. And the way that we're co-creating value, I'm trying to help connect the dots for you listeners what Steve's unconscious confidence is. And there's all these terms that we throw out, but hopefully you realize that there's a lot of depth that we have to get into in the meaning. So we have to balance between being really, 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 really specific to, to make sure that we understand the individual piece parts, but then we've got to roll it back up to where our executive sponsors can understand what we're doing. Would you agree that that's uh, one element of co-creating value? Because I want to be able to give the baton to you uh, to, to, um, because I think you have some uh, thoughts that you'd like to share of where we can co-create value differently. But I wanted to deliver on the promise that you led with about co-creating value to begin with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So how, how about you? Do you have some questions uh, for us? Uh, some things, some topics that you want to bring up? You mentioned in our, in our pre-call, you had some ideas that you'd like to challenge or have discussion well, about? I mean, not even necessarily challenge, but, but, one idea is that product marketing teams drive product centricity, which translates to productitis. So I actually don't even have like a codified answer here, but my question actually for both, to the both of you, Brian, you too, is do we eventually just need to do away with product marketing teams in favor of things like customer segment teams? So for instance, rather than being an absolute expert on this product, rather than that, you're an expert on this segment. So, I mean, there's a million different ways that segments can shake out. I mean, either at TD Ameritrade, we did it by assets with us. So do we need to eventually get rid of product marketing roles in favor of, you know, roles that fit more squarely within an approach of customer centricity? Or do the two of them work together, which I believe is probably the best way to do it? You know, what's the best way forward so that we don't have product marketing teams, whether they realize it or not, creating product items for our sellers? That's a great question. And uh, that falls under the bucket of organizational enablement um, and also just sort of roles in general. Where we're at, to be simplistic about it, is with B2B, we have two choices. We can continue to go to market, which says, uh, what's the first thing that you design around your, uh, when you go to market is <laughs> you do your TAM based on product sales. And the classic uh, approach to do is to look at uh, other like product sales. You get data from IDC, Gartner, or Forrester, and you do an analysis on your, on your TAM or other sources, de de depending on which industry you're in. And then that sets your TAM. Uh, or, and then you cascade down a whole bunch of activities and strategies that come from it with your segmentation and, you know, your paths to market. There's just a ton of muscle memory around going to market. Yeah. Or we have a different choice. We can go to customer. And if you look at, say, how some of the key accounts are set up, 
the idea of TAM is just ridiculous, uh, we can get millions and millions of dollars out of uh, individual accounts. We treat the accounts as markets and upon themselves. Uh, mm. Customers write checks, people don't. Yeah. So I think one challenge that we've got is um, to rethink or to complement the go-to-market approach with a go-to-customer approach. I think that's one area that uh, we're starting to see some pockets of companies uh, to address, but it's very difficult because you've got tons of muscle memory. You have an apparatus of uh, management consulting firms that work with the strategy department on go-to-market strategies. People just talk about go-to-market and I don't really think they think about what, uh, what the implications are. And there's not enough conversation that's happening about what's the what is the experience that happens in the trenches? And those are all the things that you've been really highlighting is what is the experience that happens when a salesperson and an individual customer interact? So I think that's one area. Mm-hmm. Uh, reactions to that before I get into other, uh, other, other. No, I mean, I, I think that, that it's a complicated subject, but yeah. go to customer over go to market, especially as we get deeper into the 21st century. Absolutely. But I find myself kind of like wrestling with this idea of, do we need to eventually just completely get rid of product marketing roles? And like, yeah. is that, is that going to make people's heads just explode? Just explode? So <laughs> yes, it will yeah. make your heads explode for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of hard wiring. I mean, if you look at it from a role perspective, people get certified in product marketing and there's a lot of, uh, you know, structure and there's a lot of checklists and Scott and I've talked about this before. You got it. How would you change the checklist and how would you change the hard wiring of that, that role? But the thing about that is, Steve, uh, many roles are in that position uh, in a 21st century That's ecosystem right. going to customer. Product marketing is, is probably one of the most hardwired, but so is training. Yeah, um, and so you have those two roles that, to me, um, need to be rethought. And, and we can go on that in a separate podcast, but... Yeah. Yeah, those those are real um, challenges, and that's why one the need for orchestration uh, because you have to build a coalition to tackle these things in order to go to customer, and two you got to have the executive level acumen to even carve off a conversation like this because you know it's hard to do it; it's impossible to do it bottom up. It's just right. I've tried it; it doesn't work. You end up in you know hand to hand combat situations. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to work. It has to be it has to go tops down. So. That's why I think the commercial ratio is so critical, understanding that, bringing the right people in at, at the executive levels to have these conversations and make executives you know, think a little bit differently about these legacy approaches, uh, because that's what's going to be required to, to move us forward and to go to customer, or more importantly, Steve, your point, a 21st century model. You know, that, so that's, maybe those are three or four different podcasts, but that's my point of view on that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've found myself just over the last couple of weeks thinking, you know, if I ran the department, I don't know that I'd want to have people that, that are that are in marketing, that are experts in the products. I, I would want to like reassign them to say, you're an expert in this customer segment. And then through that, you're going to be an expert in products X, Y, and Z, because that's what's proven to be most relevant, most helpful, et cetera. But it's almost like you've got your A priority and your B priority. So I've been trying to like reconcile this within my own brain. So that's that, that. What, what you're saying is spot on. This is, these are the conversations that a lot of people are actually struggling with right now. And we need to find a place to just field the conversation and make sense of it. There's two other dimensions that I want to share in answering your question. Mm-hmm. Because so the first one is we have to attack it at, at the strategy level. Um, but that's not going to happen overnight. That's not low hanging fruit. What's, a, what's a another low hanging fruit option? So if we want to have executive sponsorship, 
this is something that I've found very effective in engagements I've worked at with big companies. And one of that is, Brian alluded it to her earlier, is let's think about, hey, we're doing a product launch, but sales doesn't want to sell products, they want to sell value. Mm -hmm. Why don't we rethink this? Why don't we launch a enabling capability or why don't we launch an outcome? And then let's also not say that the launch is done when sales materials are done, let's, are, are completed. Let's say that that launch is completed after our first five sales of this new thing. So that way we're all, uh, we're all in this together. And some of these things sound very, um, the first reaction when you get a group together is uh, it sounds pedantic, but then when you actually think about how you'd go and do your tasks, you realize, oh my gosh, the checklist that we're using, this, uh, we haven't updated, one company we were working with, uh, Steve, hadn't updated their new product launch checklist in 15 years. Oh, man. And that's the kind of muscle memory that people just get into action and they just start doing and they don't ask the question, well, hey, it's 2020, maybe we need to do this differently. So having the discipline to revisit and just make some tweaks to the process is a high yield opportunity. You just have to be able to withstand some pushback and be able to rehearse that. And then I think that, so that's the other thing. And then the third thing is another angle that's happening is no, once companies get introduced to the idea of go to customer or go to market, they don't want to pull the bandit off and do their whole because they you can't um, you can't disrupt ongoing operations. So what we've done is we've made different pockets. So we isolate a pocket that's uh, of of sales teams, marketers, etc., who can all work working backwards from customers. Because part of what you don't want to do is you don't want to have everybody being customer centered when people. You don't want to staff that with people who have so much muscle memory and unwillingness to change that they're just a slave to sort of that product base. So you segment it out and you do sub segments within inside your group and you build pods or working teams or things like that. And then what you do is you do need to change the role, the definition of the role of salespeople or product marketing in that space because the language matters. And some of the roles that we've seen are outcome specialist, customer advocate. Some people uh, will refer to it as a specific role. Let's say the company's decided that they want to sell to a CIO. Then, they, then they're um, the, uh, the CIO success marketer. Um, and we have to be careful with that success word because it, we don't mean the customer success team. It's, yeah. right? So these are the nuances of what we have to, what we, what we have to work through. Yeah, you know, as I look at like a, you know, a, a marketing org chart, you know, it's, there has to be an answer for who, who owns the customer, who is the expert in the customer. And if you look up and down your marketing org chart, and if no one clearly owns the customer or customer segments, and is the expert in them, then A, you're going to have problems and B, you're certainly headed towards productitis. So you're spot on right. And the war, here's an even worse scenario. If every group claims they have ownership over the customer. Too. Oh, yep. That's even worse. Because what I was going to say is, uh, you know, are we, are, we, are we able to say or who's able to say that they actually quote unquote own the customer when we're talking about selling an experience and an outcome? Yep. So that's why I like so much of um, Steve, your approach is that 
you're focusing on the atomic level items, which are important, but they don't seem strategic. We've got to figure a way to bubble that up to get you that permission so that you're not just, uh, what, what's difficult is being something different inside an organization because the white blood cells will uh, collect around you. And uh, you've, we've all heard the, the, the phenomenon of a host transplanting or a host uh, rejecting its transplant. That happens all the time inside companies. It's even faster yeah. inside companies. The, yeah. the space to let something new happen is very difficult. So that's why we're really advocating these conversations to think through how can you be successful. You've done a great job of highlighting out, out what those uh, what those items are. And what we want to do is isolate individual topics here and have different podcasts to create more of that um, uh, more of that knowledge amongst uh, insider nations so that we're all able to succeed together. Sounds good to me. So with that, uh, we're we're at the point of where we want to wrap up. So Steve, what are some parting thoughts that we have before we turn over to Brian to, to, to summarize uh, what he learned and how to, how to put this together into a structure so that you, uh, our listeners can be an orchestrator moving forward? Yeah. I just, so I, I would say that, that, that we've, we've got cracks in the foundation of product central selling. You know, we, we've got tech advances and the speed at which tech can be either copied or, you know, duplicated in some way. We've got globalization, mm -hmm. uh, basically taking away geographic advantages. So let's say you had the market corner selling know, furniture in Buffalo, New York. Well, not anymore because now it's borderless selling. Um, yep. So deregulation shaking up otherwise stable industries. And then this is the last reason. And really this is the only reason that you need it is, is the customer has power that they've never had before. They, yes. they buy what they want, when they want, from whom they want, and they're really only as loyal as their next passing whim. Yep. You know? So I would say, and really out of those four reasons, I really only need number four. You really don't even need any other reason. So these are sort of the cracks in the foundation that are going to make product-centric selling, thinking, et cetera, not sustainable uh, moving into the 21st century and really putting the customer at the center of what you do, including enablement services, um, is a way to do that. And really what's key to enablement working is enablement needs to stay close to sales because sales stays close to the customer. So really the closer that you're able to stay to the customer and their needs, their issues, their demands, the more successful that you're going to be in enablement, whether it's content enablement, organizational enablement, you know, and any of the other types of enablement. So I want to add, uh, I think those are great. I want to add one point I think you'll agree with. Um, I would do a lot of work on the, on the sales organization and the sales leaders are very interested in um, modeling their A reps. So by staying close, you want to stay close to the A reps because uh, it's about a rising tide lifts all ships. You don't want to be listening to the gen pop salesperson for providing your content because that hits the lowest common denominator. Is that right? Correct. Yep. So it, it, it's the A-level performers that the conversations that they're having, the activities that they're doing, their habits that you really want to kind of spread around to kind of bridge that gap between, you know, a C or a B to an A. And enablement, and enablement can help sort of narrow that gap. The reason I, I stress that point, not to call Steve out, I know Steve thinks about these things anyway, is to highlight uh, a common misconception that I see in most marketers is they'll do a survey of the whole sales force. 
and say, sales wants this. They go produce whatever that is, and then they get pushed back. Uh, that's like an Edsel. So we've had a whole episode on that. It's, uh, it's like building the Edsel. We're going to build something for everybody, and then um, no one uses it. Mm-hmm. You need to be really, really clear and dedicated to work backwards from the reps that are doing it and have empathy that these guys have a lot of unconscious competence. And you have to do, you have to be curious and intense and thoughtful, all the attributes that Steve's highlighting here to be able to really understand that and then be able to connect the dots with all the different um, uh, content elements and pieces that you've got. And then Steve's got to be able to relate that back to all of the different individual contributors of producing that market or that content. You might have uh, um, competitive analysis people that you're tapping into three or four different product marketers who, because uh, a salesperson, customers have this nasty habit of not really understanding what your product structure is. They just tend to buy capabilities that they want. and They, they pull the things off the shelf and our salespeople are stuck in the middle. Um, we, he, he might have to deal with branding, uh, different branding people. And if you're dealing with different business units, different uh, brand mechanisms there, lots of different at- aspects that, that go into it. And this is why we're really stressing this orchestration part. So Brian, why don't you help us uh, connect the dots of uh, what orchestration is, and then we'll let Steve have the last word and then we'll be done with our podcast today. Yeah, great. This has been uh, awesome guys. And for our listeners, I just uh, wanted to point you to uh, episode 51 is the one uh, with Bob Apollo. Uh, You guys can go listen at, and then 23 is the, the Ford Etzel, uh, discussion where if you build something for everybody, it, it's not going to work. Uh, and then also go check out the, uh, the website um, to get the, the webinar. But from a recap perspective uh, on oh, the webinars on routes to value, sorry about that. Um, so from a recap perspective, uh, Steve's bringing us today, this idea of product Titus from uh, the, the most recent webinar from Scott uh, and the routes to value webinar. And in that, in that product Titus discussion, we talked a lot today about what's the remedy for productitis, which uh, Scott calls go to customer. So when I frame out and I take our six criteria of uh, being an orchestrator, and as you guys remember, you know, we framed this out on our website and also in the podcast. And I use this as a way to digest the uh, discussion because it was wide ranging today uh, in a very specific area. So by that, I mean, it's, it's very tight to this idea of message enablement. We're talking about productitis, but we got into a lot of detail and that can be overwhelming. So I'm going to net it out here. Uh, the first attribute of a orchestrator is to be uh, mission and goal focused. So uh, when, you, when, when Steve was talking about uh, the idea of the um, top performers and what does it mean to be close to the customer, uh, and, he, and he said, you know, where's, where's the focus on customer content and, and who, what does it mean to be customer centric? We had that whole conversation around who has the ability to define what it looks like from the customer perspective and who quote unquote owns the customer. That seems to be, and, and, I, and I align it to a very fundamental question about what's the mission and goal of message enablement and, the, and how does that going to help tackle productitis? Where do you focus on product or customer, Right. So that's number one. Number two is this idea of driving results by design, not effort. And Steve talked a lot today about getting funded to fuel the right types of initiatives and the idea of the detail of a persona and what that looks like. It's more helpful to focus around what the job is and what the job to be done is 
uh, and also who's holding these customers accountable. And then more importantly, how do you navigate the uh, decision-making uh, in their overall uh, journey? And with that you know, discussion, it's more about uh, understanding the roles of people and designing out those roles to relieve the burden from salespeople so they don't have to uh, figure it out themselves. The third part or the third component here of Orchestrator is this idea of guiding the narrative by confronting reality. Uh, we get, we, Scott and I get feedback from folks who don't want to engage in this podcast because they say it's too long. And uh, we say, look, we're, we're spending an hour on a topic that's really, um, you know, has a, 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 a substantive business impact. Um, we're just kind of getting into these things and we're confronting reality. And that's what we did today. This idea of the, you know, B2B2C companies like Apple, you know, Steve talked about and the uh, product centric selling, he made a call today and said, there's chinks in the armor there and product selling, product centric selling, it's, it's going to go by the wayside. And we even um, looked at how would we redefine the role um, to something different that's more about connecting the information that salespeople need getting the right types of uh, reps detail from the A reps to extract that information from them, to work across the company that builds, to build impactful messages, right? Because that's the goal here is something impactful and useful to sales and then helping salespeople get it and find it. Um, that's, that's reality. Um, and you can't just wave your magic wand and do this. Somebody has to do the valuable work to do this on behalf of sales. And that's what Steve talked a lot about today. The fourth one is prioritizing the right goals at the right moments and the, you know, what's the role of a salesperson and why do we have salespeople in the first place and uh, what type, what's the role of content? And yeah, there's going to be customer facing content and there's going to be some internal content. And uh, if you're in a training and a, a, a talent enablement space, there's going to be some talent enablement content. So what's the purpose of this content and what's the design point of it in order to make sure that there's precision in that content so you can prioritize the right goals at the right moments uh, and so can salespeople. The fourth or, or sorry, the fifth component of Orchestrator is unlocking energy and creating momentum. And Steve talked a lot about this idea of working across the organization, being close to the customer, close to sales. Uh, these two things, being close to the customer, being close to the sales, uh, I think a lot of enablement uh, people uh, say, I don't have access. I don't have access and I just have to follow best practices. Well, that's how you end up with a 15 year <laughs> outdated product product launch uh, checklist is by following best practices from 15 years ago. Uh, just because it's always done that way doesn't mean it needs to be done now. And uh, when you look at what it means to unlock energy and create momentum, it's around a, a, a COVID world conversation and you got to get close. So it's, it's an excuse in my opinion, I'm, I'm injecting, uh, to not be able to get close. And Steve's super passionate about that. Maybe give him a call and talk about strategies there. Um, and then the last one is catalyzing change through collaboration. We started out the podcast with this idea of co-creating value. And uh, on this particular one, as we were going through it, I'm thinking about, oh, I need to send this link to this person. I should send this link to that person. Oh, this would really benefit this person I talked to. I found four people in this, in this conversation that need to hear this podcast just by going through it. Um, that's how much value I, I get out of these things, and I hope you do too. But the idea here of, of uh, working with sales and working with the customer, not doing to sales, not, not doing to the customer, building together and understanding the purpose of content in the middle of the funnel. 
there's so much content at the top of the funnel. Um, Steve talked a lot today about what it means to provide content that translates the customer focus into that, um, you know, initiative or product speak. Uh, maybe even the idea of driving change. You know, what's the role of salespeople if they're not driving change? What kind of content do you have there? So catalyzing change through collaboration is the sixth one. And, you know, Steve, I, I appreciate your uh, discussion today. And how was that recap? Does that summarize what you want to drive home as the, the, to be an orchestrator? Uh, did yeah, I miss anything? Yeah, yeah and I'll, I'll kind of close by, by saying, uh, you know, we're, we're in interesting times now. So, you know, we're four or five months into a pandemic and, you know, the role of sales enablement is really, really important now. And I would say that the time for enablement to help their salespeople graduate to the role of an advisor or a consultant, a guide, you know, a business expert is now. And the way that you do that is by leading with value. And what sort of underlies all that is how close you are to the customer and their issues and staying focused on them. And actually, Bob Apollo said something that I loved on that podcast um, towards the beginning, which is stick with the issue. Stick with the issue, go a little bit deeper. Don't go jumping into products way too soon for that. So, you know, it it sort of upsets me to hear that that, that some companies are cutting their enablement functions because I kind of look at that and say, well, you know, if they're really fueling more productive sales forces, how is it any different than you know, getting rid of, uh, you know, a, a pretty good producer. So well, that's, the, close- that's the thing there is uh, that's yeah, pro- yeah. that might be why they're getting cut is they're not being pro- producing productive sellers. And that's so. just, yeah. And that's just it. I mean, and there should be optics on all these numbers and that, and that might very well be it. But, but, yeah. my, point, my, but my point is enablement has never had a better opportunity to step up and shine. Uh, and that's the way right. is, is by, you know, ushering sales to this place where, where they can lead with value and, you know, not get bogged down in, uh, you know, features, benefits, et cetera. We have a couple of anna- announcements that to carry this ball forward. So Steve is, so I want to pay out a couple of things. So Steve, I definitely think you now sound like an expert. <laughs> what what does that mean? I'm just going gr- to grant it for participation. We don't, there's no participation awards on inside sales. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that was actually going to be my, my final question is, is there a participation trophy and a big one, a big impressive one? <laughs> No participation trophy. It's it's whether you co-create value or not for our audience. Well, we do have these little buttons, but we I, I can uh, set, next time I see you, Steve, I'll give you a, I'm an insider button. Um, I remember that from the conference in San Antonio. I'm yeah. jealous of the people walking around with um with, with the buttons. But look yeah. at me now. Exactly. <laughs> look at you now. So <laughs> to, to carry on the what's great about this conversation is. Uh, hopefully uh, you will go to orchestratesales.com or our, our, our listeners. The purpose of orchestratesales.com is to organize all this information. So Brian and Eric Starrett has done an amazing job of organizing all this stuff so that you can connect the dots with all the content. Uh, one of the things is, is our library is getting larger and larger and larger, and we have so many different topics. We need a way to orchestrate orchestration. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is we've got two, uh, two events upcoming that are 100% right down the aisle uh, or swim lane or how, whatever you want to do, talk about it, that are directly related to things that Steve's talking about here. The, the first thing is on September 24th at 1 p.m., we're having the last of our COVID webinar series. 
and we're going to work on putting all of the things together, talking about sales enablement as, a, as at a crossroads and weaving that in with uh, pipeline, the pipeline enablement, mastering the middle. Uh, the next topic that we had was the commercial ratio, which has been very interesting, <laughs> to say the least. It's been a little bit of a controversial topic with some people and um, um, galvanizing and um, uh, transformative for others. We have the topic of routes to value, which is our view of uh, message enablement, which we've, we've talked about here. Uh, then we had the, the last one that we did this week, which was uh, around uh, connecting the dots or calculating all the costs and uncovering the hidden costs. We're pulling it all together and uh, putting a fine tooth comb and giving you guys a direction of where this all heads post COVID uh, with uh, go to customer. Customers, markets don't write checks, people do. So that's again on September 24th. Feel free to find the registration for it on uh, orchestratesales.com. We thank you. Uh, if, if you'd like to participate, hopefully you found, uh, found this very valuable. One thing I think we're doing a great job of is highlighting the expertise of, uh, of, our, uh, of our participants. I love uh, Brian's synthesis at the end that's, uh, that's uh, around orchestrator. Hopefully we'll be able to turn that into some notes for, for you to become an orchestrator. But find a way to get engaged. Reach out to us. Uh, we know that a lot of this stuff is very uncomfortable because it's new. And that's really what we want to do with this podcast is create a forum to have these conversations that need to happen. Steve, you did a fantastic job of doing that. I especially like that you came with some questions along the, uh, along the lines and brought up some really important topics along the way. I'm also really grateful that you allowed us to share with you uh, what your unconscious competence is. It's really uncomfortable when you're on the spot getting asked different questions like this, and you did a fantastic job and you provided a great service for the rest of our audience. Thank you so much and catch us on the next podcast. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, please make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea of what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at orchestratesales.com. You can also connect with them online by going to orchestratesales.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn connection request. 